Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, it's wonderful to see all of you little postage stamps. I think we should have a new commemorative, uh, Oan commemorative, and all of these little wonderful, beautiful faces on, uh, on stamps that go all over the world. So it's wonderful to see all of you. And today's talk is in response to Josh's question. Josh, do you remember asking this question about God? And <clears throat> this is a question that I get often. Uh, and the question is, do Buddhists believe in God? Or what is the, what is the role or place of God in Buddhism and particularly in Zen? It's interesting that nobody ever asks me, uh, do Buddhists believe in Satan? Nobody ever asks me, do Buddhists believe in Santa Claus? Nobody asks me if Buddhas believe in unicorns <laughs> or in fairies. But often I get the question, do Buddhists believe in God? So that's a very compelling uh, seems to be a very compelling issue for many people. Uh, and God is an idea that uh, is pretty powerful. And you know that Buddhism has a large tent. <laughs> We're a big tent spiritual practice. And we welcome all ideas, many, many views, as you know, Buddhism has spread throughout the world and has many forms, many interpretations, many styles of practice. And generally, when it comes to beliefs, beliefs, Buddhists tend to say, I neither believe nor disbelieve. The question isn't always what you believe in. But let's examine this, this question and this belief in God. Buddhists, I think, would recognize and accept the fact that God is an idea, the idea of God. It's an idea that has compelled, has been compelling for many people all over the world for many, 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 many years. <clears throat> what is this idea, this idea of God as we typically understand it? It's the idea of a being who is omniscient, that is all knowing, it's an idea of a being who is omnipotent, that is all powerful. And it's an idea of a being who is omnipresent. God is everywhere and is located in no particular place. So it's an idea of an absolute being, omniscient, 
all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent, all present everywhere and in no particular place. So it's a being beyond anything that we see or experience. And this idea is, um, as I said, quite compelling. It's quite a noble idea of this being who is so far beyond anything we can directly experience and a being who is presumably um, also good, is a good God, um, is a compassionate God, is a kind God, a God of love and peace. A very, very noble idea. And even more compelling and noble is the idea of Christ. This is also an idea. This is the idea of a being, a man, a human, who is God, who is divine. So not only do we have a being in God who is beyond anything that we experience in this um, in this world, but we also have a being, we have a God who becomes a man, who presumably out of love, because we can't experience his omniscience, omnipotence and omnipresence, becomes a man so that we can experience this being in a way that we can relate to. But this idea of Christ is a very strange and almost absurd idea that God can become a man. <clears throat> it's a kind of contradiction in terms, but it's a fascinating idea and it's a noble idea and it's a beautiful idea and we can recognize that among many ideas, which are noble and fascinating and compelling, that so is this. Where did even this idea of God come from? You know, it doesn't come from any direct experience that we have. So its, it's existence is interesting and wondrous that we should even have an idea of such a being. And then beyond that, that this being becomes finite, becomes human. So I suspect that as Buddhists, we can acknowledge this idea and find it quite fascinating. But then there's another step to this, the presence of this idea. And because this idea is so 
um, beyond our reach uh, as humans in terms of our direct experience. <clears throat> it requires faith to believe in it. So we can have an idea and we can say, well, that's just an idea. <laughs> like having an idea of a unicorn. But to believe in unicorns is, we might say, an, a next step that going from this being an idea to being a reality. The idea is real, but is the being real? So same with Santa Claus, we can say, this is a wonderful idea. It's very compelling and beautiful. And we adopt it for certain purposes, but does this being actually exist? And do we believe in the reality beyond the idea? Do we believe in the reality of this being? So generally we say that in order to believe in this incomprehensible, almost contradictory being that we've never experienced directly because it's generally thought to be impossible to experience the absolute if we are not absolute ourselves, then we require faith. And faith is precisely that act of believing in something, even though there is no direct evidence of it. Not only is there no direct evidence, but there's an absence of evidence. So it's faith is in spite of the absence of evidence and maybe even because of the absence of evidence that faith is required. So as from a, a, a Buddhist point of view, this act of faith needs to be examined because sometimes such a, a belief can become blind, can become what we call a fixed idea and can lead to fixed views, can lead to a kind of fundamentalism where one is so attached to an idea that it becomes an absolute truth. And there's no room for what I call provisional, a provisional attitude, which is from a Zen point of view, the most helpful, healthy and um, skillful way to approach ideas. That is that they are provisional. And when you, the, the idea of God 
is not the issue. God is not the issue. It's the attachment to the idea. It's the, the blindness of faith that is the problem from a Buddhist point of view. So as we investigate this idea and how compelling it is for so many people, we ask, what, what is it that this, the belief in this idea, the belief of the truth of the being of this idea, what, how is it helpful? What does it do for us? And I suppose we could say, among other things, it helps, it helps us explain things that we can't explain. We can always say, God, God knows. Uh, we, we can't explain the loss of a loved one. We can't explain the violence in the world. We can't explain the degradation of the earth. We can't explain why even we're here. So we, we believe that there is a being who knows, who, who understands, who knows why all of these things are happening. And it provides us with some kind of answer to our ignorance, some kind of answer. And it's also comforting. And you can feel that when people are suffering and they're in distress and they turn to God to comfort, to be a comfort this absolute being, this almost father figure who provides comfort in a time of need. And there's also a sense of having a being who protects us, who keeps us safe. Because we often have from a, when we are practicing Zen, we come head, head first into the insight of groundlessness, of impermanence, of coming and going, birth and death, and that there's nothing to hold on to. And so that's scary. And so God protects us. He comforts us. He protects us. He keeps us safe. He explains the, the things we can't explain. And usually it's a he, but, <laughs> but you can examine that too. I mean, we can't examine all of the, the different dimensions of this belief. So you can see how such a belief, such a faith in a being uh, is useful, is helpful. Um, and so it has some, some virtues, some advantages. We can ask, for example, 
is a belief in God a kind of ultimate expression of selflessness? That is that we, um, we surrender, we see ourselves as a part of a much greater being, that we're not so self-involved, uh, that we can imagine, that we can believe that there is something so much greater than we are. And thus we can, that can help us let go of our self-centeredness because there's su some beings so much greater and more powerful and more um, understanding and compassionate than we are. So it might be that our longing to lose ourselves, to let go of ourselves, to let go of this small self-centeredness expresses itself in a belief in something so far beyond us. So it could be an expression of that longing for something beyond the small self, or it could be the ultimate expression of self-centeredness. That is that we're projecting our own desires for power, for knowledge, and for control onto a being kind of like us, but much more powerful, much more um, brilliant, <laughs> and much more um, present and in control of everything. So it could be that we're just projecting our own sense of self onto some absolute being. So Zen does not tell us what to believe. It acknowledges that there are all these ideas out there. They all have consequences. If you're attached and if you're not attached, so Zen doesn't, doesn't tell us what to believe, but how to approach the examination of our beliefs and our ideas. <clears throat> In our practice, it, it's much more important to ask great, great questions, to ask great questions than to give great answers. Buddha, when he awakened, did not present us with answers. He called his teaching a path. It, it wasn't Buddhism. Buddha didn't present us with Buddhism, with a series of beliefs and uh, uh, principles and, you know, things that we had to uh, believe in. 
It wasn't, it wasn't a system. It wasn't a, um, it, they weren't answers. They weren't answers to all of our questions. They were a path to awakening. So this path is sometimes called Marga, M-A-R-G-A. This is what Buddha offered us. And this path is much more about how we practice than what we believe. As a matter of fact, I, I believe that, um, I believe it, I looked this, this quotation from the Bible up, um, it's, it's in Matthew, where it is said, by their fruits, you shall know them. Another way of saying this is by their works, you shall know them. These were um, admonitions against false prophets that it's by our practice that we establish our worth, our, our awakening, our realization as people, as full human beings, much more than our beliefs. So look to how people behave, how they live their lives more than their beliefs. I think I've quoted sometimes a Kierkegaard saying, so many of us build castles in the air and live in shacks down the street. So those beliefs, those castles, um, from a Zen perspective, are not anywhere nearly as significant as the path that we take in life. Much more important than what we believe in. Beliefs are just um, ideas that we commit to verbally or in our minds. <clears throat> but the way we live and how we treat other people and how we treat the earth, that's our practice. I read somewhere that there's a new term for those who are um, dedicated to um, healing the earth, and that is ecosattvas. We have bodhisattvas, <laughs> and we also, because we care for all beings, we practice that compassion, not just for one another, but for the earthworms, for the trees, for the, for the winds, for the mountains, for the oceans. Uh, so we're ecosattvas as well as bodhisattvas. And when Buddha was awakened, he was challenged by uh, an incarnation of temptation and, and uh, 
um, um, doubt uh, about his awakening. And he was challenged to uh, have someone witness, have a witness to his awakening. And what he did was take his right hand and place it down on the earth. He didn't appeal to some transcendent being, oh God, God sent these tablets or God sent Christ to, to affirm our existence, to affirm the truth of life. No, Buddha did not appeal to any transcendent being, but placed his hand down on the earth as his witness. Again, this is not to affirm or deny the existence of transcendent being. It's simply that this was Buddha's action to affirm his full realization. Um, Guidelines for practice are often formulated as having great faith, having great doubt, and having great determination. But the great faith is not to be understood so much as having faith in a transcendent being but having faith in the practice, in having faith in one's own authority, of having faith in our interconnectedness with all beings. That's not faith which is with, without evidence. That's, that's what I would call confidence. And so in Buddhist practice, perhaps we, we can translate this great faith into great confidence. It's not based on something that is beyond our understanding, beyond our reach, beyond our connection. Buddha never presented anything that could not be experienced by human beings that wasn't within our power. And so it's our practice that we have great confidence, but that confidence goes along with doubt. It's not blind. It's not blind confidence. It has to be constantly renewed. And that's why this word, I love this word provisional. <laughs> because you can have confidence and still have this sense of openness of, okay, I have confidence, but every now and then something's going to come up to challenge that. And I'm gonna see if I can make that connection with the earth to what I know, what I experience again and again and again. So I want to um, 
end today's talk with a, a quotation from the Simsapa Sutra. The Blessed One took up a few Simsapa leaves in his hands and addressed the monks who were gathered in the forest. Monks, he said, which is more numerous? These few leaves that I have taken up in my hand or those in the grove overhead? Venerable sir, the leaves that the blessed one has taken up in his hand are few, but those in the grove overhead are numerous. So too, monks, the things I have directly known but have not taught you are numerous. While the things I have taught you are few. And why, monks, have I not taught you those many things because they are without benefit, irrelevant to the fundamentals of spiritual life. So there are many, many ideas, many, many teachings, but only a few are of benefit. And that those are the teachings, those practices, that path <laughs> that Buddha offered, which is accessible to everyone. It's like going on Google, Google, uh, Google directions, you know. <laughs> you, you know, you want to get to um, Belleville. <laughs> and you type in, what's, what's the path? <laughs> and you got lots of options. So you could get a fast path, a scenic path, you know, <laughs> that's what Buddha, there are many paths. And that's, what, that's what's relevant. It's how you live your life. It's the path more than the belief. So, these are the few teachings that we could say on these paths that Buddha has laid out and that have been developed over eons, um, not many of them require a belief in God. Mostly all of them we can do together <laughs> with all beings. Thank you. Thank you.